Hello, friend, and welcome back to the show. In this week's episode, I have on my good personal friend, Dr. Melissa Gallo. She's a pelvic floor physical therapist, and she works in Columbus, Ohio. She's been on the show before. In fact, she was actually my physical therapist and one of the very first guests I ever invited onto the show. If you've been listening to the show for a really long time, number one, thank you. Um, And if you scroll all the way back, I think she's one of my very first guests, and we recorded at my little toddler table back when I lived in Columbus and was practicing at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. I'm now, of course, in Boston, Massachusetts, and we got together via Zoom and had just this wonderful conversation about what is pelvic floor physical therapy. It's something that I recommend a lot to my patients, and often women kind of look at me like, you want me to do what? So this is a phenomenal episode where we really talk about women's physical therapy in terms of pelvic floor as one of the main and prominent features of maintaining alignment and health. You're going to love this episode. Enjoy. Welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. So I realize that you are probably the, you're probably the person I've had on the show the most. I know. I think this would be your fourth, either your third or your fourth. And there was a secret, there was a secret episode we recorded on pregnancy, or we were talking about like pelvic or like physical therapy, like peripartum and at the end of pregnancy that like got somehow just got, it just, it got, it got destroyed. So that one never made it to air, which is super sad. I, maybe it was your first guest ever. You think you were, you were like episode seven. And I think this is episode at a toddler table, right? This is episode 107. That is so crazy. I know. So, um, tell us a little bit about what you do in your practice and why you love it. Oh my gosh. Well, I started, um, just as a regular orthopedic physical therapist and kind of just wasn't satisfied with the disconnect between the rest of the body and the pelvis. And then I got pregnant with twins. And of course that came with a slew of issues and I was just, you know, needing to learn more. And I thought if I'm confused as a physical therapist with all of my knowledge, I can't imagine what the regular population is feeling around these topics. Um, so I just kind of dove full in and, and became a pelvic floor physical therapist. And I've been doing that now for the last five years, dedicating all of my practice to women's health and just kind of breaking down the myths and the misconceptions around women's health and what is normal versus what is common um, and trying to just build awareness for women so that we can help this population more, whether you're 20 or 40 or 60 or 80, you know, um, I think the sooner we can get, get it under control, um, or even prevention, even before symptoms arise, the better. So that as you go through life, um, and enter 
perimenopause, menopause age, you already have the tools in your tool belt to help manage some of the symptoms that come along with it. Yeah. A lot of my patients still sort of cringe or I think have this imagery of like weights coming out of the vagina and like exercises that you do with the pelvic floor physical therapist. So I think it would be so helpful to hear from you. What is like, what's a visit? Like, what are the goals? How does it even work? And certainly I, 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 uh, recognize people go for different indications, but you know, why do we have that old imagery of pelvic floor physical therapy and what, it, what do you really do? I think it's, it's funny. Cause even just the imagery or the idea around having an internal pelvic exam, people come in and they have no idea what I'm about to do and they're nervous. And I have to explain to them kind of jokingly, like this is not an OB visit. Um, I don't have a speculum. I don't have tools that I'm going to shove up your vagina. And they're like, Oh my gosh, great. This Okay, great. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's meant to be gentle. This is not meant to be painful. Um, Mm -hmm. Everything we do internally is meant to be releasing, um, not painful in any way. Of course, women do have trigger points and pain internally in the pelvic floor muscles. But I think a big part of my my initial session and first couple sessions is making sure that they're actually aware of the space I'm talking about. If they have no clue and can't even conceptualize the space, then we we don't usually make any progress. So I use my models a lot. Um, I show them what the pelvic floor is. I show them kind of what it looks like, the shape of it, so that they can have this image in their mind when we go through trying to explain, okay, this is how you do a Kegel. This is how you release your pelvic floor. If they ha- if they don't have an image to go off of, then it usually um, doesn't work very well. So I spend a lot of time educating because if we don't educate, then I always say like the, the brain, you can't strengthen a muscle until the brain knows where it is. And if the brain doesn't know where it is, then the coordination has to come first and then strength comes second. So if you guys have listened to my show, uh, if you've been listening to my show for a long time, you know that um, Dr. Gello is also my physical therapist and that mind mapping, it sounds so easy, but to sort of know where those parts of your pelvis are or to, to, to sort of like, you'd always say like, turn it on. Um, it's, it's, I think that's such a big part of what you do is helping patients like mind map. And, and it's so, it's so important. It seems so easy, right? But it's really right. difficult. It's, yeah, it's not easy at all, actually. And it's not the way the pelvic floor actually is supposed to move with your breath is not very intuitive. It's not what you think it would be. Um, most people think when I tell them to, to sink it to their breath, they tend to want to kegel or do the contraction with their inhale because that seems the most intuitive like you inhale and you suck in air so you think oh that's when i should contract my pelvic floor and that's when i should tighten but really that's the opposite of how the rhythm of the body should actually move the pelvic floor it's the opposite of that so that's a hard concept for people to kind of switch in their mind Mm -hmm. why do you think that all women know about the pelvic floor is Kegels. You know, whenever I talk to patients, they'll say, oh, you know, um, uh, something I'll hear commonly is sex is painful, but I'm doing my Kegels. And I'm like, ah, how many are you doing a date? And they're like, they're like 300. And I'm like, no. Um, 
it's just funny. I think about, you know, the way that the either it's the media or just whatever physicians in general, like there's kind of this messaging that always sticks like drink milk, right? Do Kegels. Um, why, why do women only know Kegels? And as a physical therapist, what do you think about that in terms of if that's all women do? It really is. It's super frustrating. And I just sometimes, I just sometimes have to sigh and know that we still have a long way to go with education and not just for the general population, but for practitioners. Um, I, I have women come in that are pregnant or postpartum and they'll sit, tell, they'll tell me that their OB says they don't need physical therapy because, um, they don't need their pelvic floor, like strong for birth. So to me, that just, that tells me the OB or the provider thinks all I'm going to do is strengthen their pelvic floor. And that's so frustrating. Cause that's like, oh my gosh, that is not what I do at all. I actually usually don't do Kegels. I, I never have prescribed anyone a hundred Kegels a day or 300 Kegels a day. Like that has never been on anyone's prescription plan. That message is so important. Yes. So I think, I think you're right. It's just media, um, commercials. It's just what we've been driven into for decades upon decades, um, that Kegels. And, and I think probably lack of research and, and understanding, truly understanding what the pelvic floor does has led a lot of practitioners, even pelvic physical therapists to believe that that is what we need to do. We even, there's still a ton of providers that think that if you leak or if you have a prolapse or any of those symptoms that you must have a weak pelvic floor. Um, and that's still just like a, a big misconception that we still have to kind of break down. And, and it's confusing because you would, it doesn't make sense. You think, well, if you leak urine or if you have an organ falling out, it must be weak because that's the job of the pelvic floor is to hold it up and in. Mm -hmm. So of course it must be weak. So we must just need to strengthen more and do more Kegels. But unfortunately it's a very complex system down there. And Kegels sometimes make all those symptoms worse. Um, hmm. So we have to really train the opposite, actually. Yeah. That's so, so important. Um, what do you think have been the biggest advances in pelvic floor for women? I mean, I, I think as a clinician who prescribes it often, I think it has become more and more accepted. I love watching social media and more and more um, a physical therapist discussing specifically the pelvic floor. So how do you think that that has helped or, or not? I don't know. Um, just, just your profession in general and it's awareness that it's a, a service for, for women and kind of like mental health, probably something that we could all use. Yes. I think what's exciting is that it is becoming more well-known uh, more normal, more talked about. Um, social media is helping in that way. So I think that's super great. I'm seeing a ton of pelvic floor PTs on social media now posting really good content and really trying to break the norms. Um, same as what I'm trying to do. So that's really exciting. Um, I think we just need to kind of collaborate more with physicians and make sure that we're all on the same page. And again, trying to go to more of like a prevention-based model. Um, mm -hmm. I think I've said in, in on your podcast years ago 
that it's very normal to see a pelvic floor physical therapist in other countries as just like the standard of care, especially after you have a baby, um, you go see one, even if you don't have symptoms. And that I think should be the norm. Um, I saw a post recently on social media. I don't know if this is true because I haven't looked into it, but one, another public PT posted about the CDC recommending um, you see a public floor physical therapist after having um, a baby. And I was like, well, wouldn't that be crazy? Um, so I think it's becoming more normal. Um, we just aren't quite there yet, you know? Yeah. yeah. Tell us about something that I've taken from you and I try to give credit whenever I say it, but once you're postpartum, you're always postpartum mm-hmm. because I see patients I see patients of all age, all ages, uh, probably the average age of my patients is between 45 and 55. And a lot of times, um, even though I'm talking to them about midlife concerns, whether it's like, you know, hot flashes or sexual dysfunction or leaky bladder, things that all kind of come up. I'm also asking them about their obstetric history and, you know, did you have a vaginal delivery or C-section or how many pregnancies? And they sometimes like scratch their head, like, why is this relevant to whatever we're talking about now? Um, sometimes we know that there's like, you know, the pelvic floor just kind of changes after baby. But I love that phrase that you said, and it's really stuck with me ever since then. And I say it all the time. What, what tell, I I just want you to kind of explain that again, as if like, I didn't know what, once you're postpartum, you're always postpartum means, because I think it's so great for listeners to think that even if you're 40, 50, 60, 70, and you have either been pregnant or had a baby, it's going to affect you lifelong. Yes, definitely. I think, uh, again, if you ask a 40 or 50 year old about their history, they're just kind of like, that was like 20 years ago. So why does that even matter? And what happens is the body gets stuck in patterns. The body is very good at adapting to life. That's what our bodies are meant to do. If it can't figure out a way to do something, it's going to find a new way to do it. So I kind of explain that to people as you developed a particular posture, let's say, for example, during pregnancy, and then you kind of stuck with that posture into your postpartum years. And then you had another baby and then you had another baby. And then you kind of just adapt these new ways of moving. You have these compensation patterns. You potentially have birth trauma that never got resolved. Um, And they might not be symptomatic, but so many people have birth trauma, whether we say it's physical trauma um, in their pelvis or to the bony structures of the pelvis, the pelvis of course moves when you deliver a baby and it can get stuck in different positions. So you can have physical trauma stuck that you're not really aware of. You can have, of course, emotional trauma related to birth and that stuff sticks with you and it sticks in the pelvis a lot of the time. So even if you are 20, 30 years down the road, what happens is your body has adapted to these new ways of moving, these new ways of managing pressure. Um, And then here you are maybe 50 years old, you now have some hormonal things going on as well. You have like an estrogen deficiency, you have all this other stuff happening. And then you start seeing a breakdown and you start seeing your prolapse or like all of a sudden you have this heaviness in your vagina or you have this pain that you didn't have before. Um, All of which I think is an accumulation of years going by um, with potentially poor mechanics, poor pressure management, things that I think could be prevented if we catch it early um, or prevent it from the beginning. 
That doesn't mean it's ever too late though. So I like to remind people if they do come in their 50s, 60s, um, things can change. We can make differences. It's going to take a little bit of work. If it's a pattern that your brain and body has been doing for 30 years since you had children, it's going to take a little bit of time for your brain to figure it out and, and learn new ways, new strategies, um, new ways to breathe. I can guarantee you most, most women that I assess hold their breath way more than they're even aware of just with day-to-day -day tasks, you know, they might just hold their breath when they go to pick up a bag of groceries. And over time, that doesn't seem like a big thing, but it can lead to pressure issues and the pressure issues um, cause bearing down and pressure on the pelvic floor. I think that's so, I, that's so eye-opening. Um, and I, I, I think that if you're listening and you think about how this has affected your posture, your breathing techniques. You, it's just like all these little micro things over the years. And I think Missy really put that into like perfect perspective that then you get to midlife and all of a sudden these things kind of decompensate. And I, I love how you also on your social media. Um, and if you guys don't follow Missy, you absolutely should. I'm going to link her social media down below and you're at twin mama PT. Yeah. Twin mama PT. Okay. I will link it down below because I didn't say it right the first time. Um, but I like how you always do, like you show a lot of like movements that moms or women don't have to necessarily be a mom, but that women do a lot with this kind of wonky posture, like carrying a toddler or carrying mm -hmm. two toddlers, right? In your case, uh, or like hauling a stroller or carrying groceries and how we may have adapted to those, whatever you call them, malpositionings or misalignment and how we do those just for decades without noticing it. And then how you kind of, then, you know, you scroll left or whatever, and you kind of show that like tucked position. And that was like, you know, just the, I'm not saying right, but, um, I think that's so, I think those always are so great. I love your videos for that because you're like, Oh yeah, no, I do that. I, I definitely yeah. walk like that. I definitely hold my kid. Yeah, I try to show the practicality around it and how, how it mimics real life and things that you're actually doing. Um, I think another, another misconception with pelvic floor physical therapy or potentially not a misconception, but how it, how it has been done for years is, you know, if you were to ask, let's say my mom, for example, she's like, I've done that before you lay on a table and they hook you to these electrodes and you do this biofeedback to your pelvic floor and it contracts for you. Um, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're not, we're, we're luckily we're getting away from that. We're not doing a ton. Biofeedback has its place. It can be helpful for women that have very poor awareness, but we're getting away from that. And I think an important thing to remember is that if we just train the pelvic floor laying down, if we just have patients lay on the table and we tell them to do Kegels laying down, that's not going to carry over to function because we don't live our lives laying, laying down. down. Um, we live against gravity. Yeah. And we, we need gravity to load the pelvic floor. So if we're going to have someone that's leaking, um, if you have a 50 year old come, she's trying to play pickleball and she's leaking and you're like, okay, well, let's lay on this table and, and like 
figure this out. Let's do some Kegels. It feels fairly strong. Well, that's not going to carry over to her ability to manage the load as she goes to like um, step for a ball or, you know, run after something. So mm -hmm. we have to be loading the pelvic floor against gravity to match the load of their life to mm -hmm. really make progress. And I think fortunately that is becoming more, um, people are becoming aware of that and starting to try train it that way because what, what I think has happened over the years is people have tried pelvic floor physical therapy it hasn't worked so then they think I tried it it didn't work for me and I'm like try it again try somebody new <laughs> we have new advances you know like yeah. if you tried it 10 years ago um, and maybe it didn't work maybe it was a different type of pelvic floor PT you know what I mean like it's not all we don't all equal each other. And right. over the years, we, the field is growing, which is great. And the field is advancing so well that we are every year. I mean, even since I've been on your podcast last, like I treat differently than I treated four years ago. I think we've just learned so much about how we need to treat these conditions. Um, so it's pretty cool. So one of the things I wanted to ask you that stemmed from what you were telling me before is like, what maladaptions during the pandemic have you seen? And I, and I'm thinking of one in particular, which is everyone writing their Pelotons, but I'm wondering if you see any other maladaptions, um, cause I'm so interested in that. So that is a big one. So many people have gotten Pelotons and I think I have to remind women, like if you didn't sit on a bike seat for years other than the occasional bike ride outside with your family and now you're sitting on a bike seat four to five hours a week totally that's me. a big adjustment for yeah. your body yeah. and I think you've had a you've had a peloton or a stationary bike for a while so I think we've talked about that but that's a new stimulus to people's pelvic floor and so we have to kind of make sure they're adapting to that well and that we give them supplemental exercises to go along with that I think the other biggest thing with the pandemic Honestly, it is just how I've noticed um, stress manifest in the pelvis and in the pelvic floor. I think a lot of us are aware of the stress we carry in our neck and shoulders. That's kind of like a common thing like, oh, yes, of course, I have tension in my neck. Like when I get stressed, I feel it up here. Mm -hmm. So I think we're, we're more aware of the stress we carry up in our neck and shoulders, but we're not super aware of the stress we carry down in our pelvic floor. And so we become aware of it, right? So once I once I feel this tension, do you feel this space? Do you feel how this uh, my finger doesn't have a lot of space here? There's a lot of built up tension. It's almost like you're you're in a semi contracted state all the time. And how I've been able to relate that to people's um, stress levels, or if they're like, I don't understand why I'm flared up right now. Nothing has happened in my life. Um, you know, my, my job is stressful, but it's always stressful. You know, they'll say things like that. It's always been stressful. Life is the same. Like nothing has really changed. I didn't, they try to relate it to an exercise. They try to relate it to their fitness. And if they can't piece it together, if I start asking more questions around like, has anything like traumatic happened recently? Has anything out of the norm happened? And then they might be like, well, actually, yeah, like a family member died recently, or, you know, I had kind of like a really big thing happen with COVID recently, or, you know, just little things like that, that they might not be connecting the pieces and how that's relating to their pain, or how that's relating to tension in their pelvic floor until we make them aware of it. And then we can be like, okay, this is connecting. 
this can be a reason. Yeah, it's like the biopsychosocial model. Yes. And, you know, I think empowering women to take those parts and pieces of their life and see how it's impacting the functionality of their body and their movement is, is so empowering because, you know, in our day-to-day lives, we just kind of go about things and don't always put all those pieces together. So sometimes coming to you is like a little bit of therapy. It is. I mean, I joke with that with my patients all the time. They're like, I feel like you're my therapist. And I'm like, I kind of am. It's okay. Like we, if we don't address the mental, um, if we ignore the mental, then we're not going to get many places. And that's where some of my sessions are hard. Like women are getting deep. Um, it's emotional. There's some crying and, uh, you know, we have to be comfortable as therapists being able to go there because that's, what's going to make changes for our, for our patients and our, our women that are suffering. I don't think, um, all providers are willing to ask those hard questions because it's uncomfortable, but we have to do it if we're going to get people better. I'm really big on, on pelvic bowl cleansing, on pelvic bowl meditation. So we have to, we have to kind of sometimes do some meditative practices in the clinic while I'm, I'm internal, I'm doing some manual release work on their pelvic floor. But if we're just, you know, shooting the shit about, you know, their kids or anything else in their life, we might, we're not tuning into what's happening. And like, while I'm good with my fingers and I can release things, I need them to like zone into what I'm doing too. So sometimes we have to be like, okay, enough of the small talk. Let's really dive deep here and, um, and meditate. It it doesn't mean we always have to get into an emotional state, but we got to meditate and they have to be able to tune into it. Yeah. It's just, yeah, there's so many components to it. I love how you, I love how you really encapsulate that biopsychosocial and that feedback all in one, as opposed to just like, I'm the little manual person here doing all the work. Like you have your patients do that. What, what I kind of would call maybe you would do like that, like deep work, that internal work. There's so many parts. I don't want to be somebody that they need forever. I mean, of course I see people maintenance, um, for long-term maintenance, but I want them to be able to be empowered and, and figure it out on their own. I want them to be able to have tools in their toolbox that they can, they can get this under control. If they have a flare up that they don't need to be like, Oh my God, I got to text Missy. I got to get into the clinic for a session. Like I want them to be like, okay, she's taught me these things. Let me try some of these things on my own. Yeah. um, So that I don't have to be tied to a practitioner and feel like I need a practitioner every week, every month. Um, you know what I mean? We don't have time. It's expensive. You're busy. You don't have time for an appointment every week. I think that that's just such an, um, sort of just the way I love to practice too. It's just to be able to like empower them to after some time and working together, being able to, to work through the questions or the, the pain in some ways on their own, or at least just be able to begin that, that beginning stages of doing so and being able to teach our patients that and not have them rely on us, I think is selfless. Yes. Yeah. Huge. So, um, what, 
are some of the main reasons that you see people? I think, you know, what this conversation, we didn't, we didn't, we, you know, I told Missy when she jumped on, I said, no notes, no plan. I just want to just, just ask you questions. So, um, I think this has been a great conversation just in helping women better understand the role of pelvic floor physical therapy. What exactly you do? What are the common misconceptions? Um, and you know, what a visit can be like, um, and how the body really adapts to, um, our reproductive lives. And that can extend many years after and into midlife and menopause. What are the common yep. things people come to see you for, you know, is, do they come to see you for urine issues, prolapse or, or, um, uh, just regular old pain or, or, you know, what do people generally see a physical, ah, pelvic floor physical nervous mm-hmm. for I would leakage is a big one I get a lot of leakage um and prolapse I would say are two two big ones and and they might not come in saying I have prolapse yeah. but the symptoms of a prolapse so a lot of pressure heaviness in the vagina um leakage being primarily stress incontinence. So that leakage with coughing, laughing, sneezing, jumping, um, but also urgency. So, you know, bladder, bladder urgency is another form of incontinence. It's a different type, but urgency is a big one. And then to be honest, I see a lot of, um, constipation Mm -hmm. that is kind of one that might go under the radar that people don't think they're going to go see if a physical therapist for constipation and that might not be their primary reason unless they they know that I treat that that just might be you know oh I checked that box on my intake form that said do you have constipation or do you have IBS and then I go into all these questions about their bowel habits and their uh their daily poops and they're probably like, why is she asking me all these questions about poop? But you really so- do become like their 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 life coach, therapist, everything. And 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 it's just funny because it's another another thing that you're like, are you constipated? And they're like, I'm like, I'm okay. I'm pretty regular. I'm like, you have to define pretty regular to me because I don't know. My definition of constipation is if you don't have a good long sausage-like poop once a day. And if that's not happening, you are constipated. Um, If you have to strain, if you have to bear down, if you don't have complete bowel movements, or you feel like you have a lot of smearing after you go to the bathroom, like those are all signs of pelvic floor dysfunction. So while it might not be their primary reason for being there, um, I often end up treating constipation as a secondary, as a secondary thing. And it's, you know, again, the misconception that leakage is always um, a weakness problem. We are finding that that's not always the case. I'll go internally and they're like, for lack of better terms, like really tight. The pelvic floor is super tight. And you're mm-hmm. like, how can they be leaking? This doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but the tightness can create leakage. It's still a ton of pressure down there. And if you are visualizing your pelvic floor as like a cork and you get the urge to go to the bathroom or to like you get the urge that you're going to leak or the sensation that you're going to leak and you want to cork it up with like a wine cork um the bladder is like pounding against that cork and it's creating a lot of pressure and then it's gonna it's gonna come out 
I mean, there's a hole right there. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I have to remind women or not remind them, but teach them that the pelvic floor is more like a trampoline. Like it, it has to give under load and it has to recoil and give and recoil. So if I can have them kind of visualize a trampoline or visualize some other things, I use a lot of imagery and visualizations. And then we have to do what's happening. So if they tell me they leak with coughing, we have to practice coughing in the mm -hmm. clinic. And I'm like, okay, let's do a couple fake coughs. Let's do a couple fake sneezes. Um, and we practice what that feels like on their pelvic floor. I'll have them put their hand there. What do you feel when you cough? Do you feel a pushing out? Do you feel pulling in? Sometimes we'll practice like a pre-contraction. Like, can you pre-contract your pelvic floor, then sneeze, pre-contract, do a little cough. Um, so sometimes it takes a little bit of mental work and they're like, well, am I going to always have to do that? And the answer is no, your brain should learn to figure it out. And that then your brain knows I'm about to sneeze. I'm going to pre-contract here because I know that a forceful exhale, which is what a cough or a sneeze is, is a forceful exhale that the pelvic floor needs to respond to that. Mm -hmm. And if we're teaching the brain, pelvic floor comes in with exhale, it relaxes on inhale, it comes in with exhale. Then when you go to cough or sneeze on, you know, out of nowhere, it should be responding. We kind of have to train it to be uh, re reflexive in nature. Hmm. Um, gosh, I'm just like thinking about how, um, I'm just, as you were talking, I was reflecting on how, like, just like, just how knowledgeable you are. <laughs> like, there should be one of you, like, I feel like in every gynecologist's office, every menopause clinic, every delivery room. Oh my gosh. Yes. And uh, I would know, love to be in deliveries. I think that would be amazing if that became normal. Yeah. Maybe in another decade. I mean, I, I just, I do think that you're right, that what you said at the beginning is the word prevention. And in, in one of the sentences you were, you were talking, and it is so true. It is so true that the pelvic floor is, is just kind of like the, the, the trunk of the core, right. As well yeah, as our like right. abdominals of like our body and women's pelvis, um, becomes traumatized multiple times and yes. we haven't really yet been able to wrap our minds besides for you, um, on how significant a role that will continue to play and that prevention being so important and just being in a delivery and, um, being a preventative, uh, uh, healthcare provider along the way is just so crucial. And my son goes to physical therapy, sorry, occupational therapy now, and he missed a week because it was, it was Christmas break. And I noticed like how like just misaligned his little body was after just oh. not going for a week. Yeah. And how helpful it has been in not just his body posture, but his behavior, his pain levels, his sleep. And I'm sure you could, yeah, you know, sleep. I'm sure you could kind of, you know, riff on that about what you see for women in midlife, but I just really kind of wanted to end with how vital I think what, what you do is how talented you are. And of course you're my friend, but I just watching you grow over the last years, you've probably watched me grow too. Right. But watching you yes. grow and, and really focus your practice and become such a, uh, a real expert in what you do is just, it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's, um, I guess the biggest message I want to get across is, you know, even though I, my, my focus and my practice and kind of 
how I tailor my social media is around prenatal and postpartum care. Um, and, and yours is a little bit more midlife, but I think just remembering that they parallel each other, you know, breastfeeding moms are basically in a similar mm -hmm. hormonal, hormonal state, state as a, 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 a menopausal woman, right? Mm -hmm. They're both estrogen deficient. So I see a lot of the same symptoms. Like the symptoms are the same. The dysfunctions yeah. are the same. So yeah. it doesn't matter if you're 35 with a baby or if you're 65 with a 30 year old child the symptoms are the same. You're in a similar hormonal state and they're treated the same. So never think it's too late. It's not too late to get started. Um, the hope is that there's a provider in every state and in every city. Um, I have people reaching out all over the country, like help me find somebody here in West Palm beach, you know, and I'm like, Oh, I don't know anybody, but there's gotta be somebody good. And when I do virtual visits with people that reach out from like, like, Arizona and California. I'm like, I know there's good providers there. Like we just have to find them. We have to yeah. find them and we have to create a network um, of people. Like I always tell Heather, I'm so bummed that you left Columbus, but I'm so happy for you doing what you're doing out there. But I'm like, if I could just find another Heather here yeah. in Columbus, we, we have good providers, but you know, like you're trying to change the, the norm and the misconceptions around midlife. And I think we just can't ignore that the pelvic floor is a big part of that. I know. I'm so, so glad to have had you back on. Um, if you guys want to um, see more information about Missy, check out her website, check out where she practices. She is in Columbus. Um, I'm going to link everything below this episode and definitely follow her on social media. She is uh, just a wealth of information, but also they're just fun to watch because you will find yourself going, oh yeah, I do that. Um, and thank you so much for giving us your time, your wisdom, and thank you for caring for women in a way that is really kind of going against, you know, the grain, I guess, for lack of better word, in a way that is going to help make us a healthier, happier population of women. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening in. I will check you next week. Bye everyone. If I haven't already done so, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my show. Consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. Also, if you love the show, your stars or a quick review could really help other women who are searching for information on menopause and midlife around the globe find this show. If you want to work with me, consider the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. The link for that is in the description to this show. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Episode.